Welcome to Money for the Rest of Us. This is a personal finance show on money, how it works, how to invest it, and how to live without worrying about it. I'm your host, David Stein. Today is episode 248. It's titled, How to Avoid Investment Fraud. In the year 2000, an ex-girlfriend of mine came to visit Laprille and I. She drove a red Dodge Viper that she said she borrowed from a mutual acquaintance of ours that I, that I hadn't seen also in, in 15 years. She said it was one of five cars that he owned, that he lived in this huge house and he was doing really well investing. I thought it was odd because last I had heard this gentleman was selling and installing home theater equipment. But now he was managing money and was doing really, really well. Now, I was also an investment advisor at the time. I didn't own five cars, and so it struck me as odd. Then in 2003, the SEC filed an administrative proceeding against this individual, stating that he had acted as an unregistered broker-dealer in connection with offering securities as part of a fraudulent scheme. He had raised $35 million in a series of offerings and represented that he could and had traded in a successful options strategy. Then, in 2005, he was sentenced. He pled guilty. They lost $5 million of their client's money. As part of that plea, he acknowledged that he had used the money in purchasing automobiles, paying for personal living expenses, and gambling. He was sentenced to 90 months in prison. I was shocked to discover this. And then, about eight years later, another incident, this time when we were living in Idaho. This time, I didn't know the individual, but I knew individuals who had been swindled by him. Unregistered as an investment advisor or broker, had an investment scheme that effectively was a Ponzi scheme and took millions from individuals, had promised 20 to 25% returns, including one of the victims was a local car dealership owner who had put millions with him. This episode, we're going to look at how to avoid investment fraud. The first thing to do when somebody presents you with an investment opportunity, both of these fraud situations, the individual or their firm was not registered. In the United States, in order to share investment advice or to provide, to invest somebody's assets, to provide advice or to sell securities, you need to be registered. Registered either as an investment advisor with the the Security and Exchange Commission or with the local state authorities, or if it's a broker, they're registered with FINRA. Whenever there's an individual and you you want to see what their investment background is, I do this all the time to look up different investment advisors, you can go to advisorinfo.scc.gov. It's the investment advisor search. Or you can go to brokercheck.finra.org. And there you can see if it's an investment advisor, you'll be able to download their what's known as their ADV Part 2, which is a brochure. All investment advisors 
are supposed to have, are required to have a brochure that describes their business, their investment process, and details about the firm and the individuals. If they're a broker, you can find out if they have any type of administrative procedures against them or customer complaints. And that's important to understand who we are potentially investing with or taking advice from. The first step then to avoid financial fraud or investment fraud is to understand who the individual is. Even if they're somebody, a friend or a family member, understand have they gone through the steps to make sure that they are registered with the proper authorities. The next thing to consider to to avoid investment fraud is what are the parties promising? Do you understand the investment product, the process? What are they doing? How are they making money? What is generating the returns? And are there conflicts of interest? In December 2017, the SEC cracked down on another Ponzi scheme. This was perpetrated by Robert H. Shapiro and a group of unregistered investment companies called Woodbridge Group of Companies. They were formerly headquartered in Boca Raton, Florida, and they swindled, defrauded 8,400 investors, most of whom were elderly. What was interesting is they weren't promising 20 to 25% returns. What they said they were doing is they were issuing loans that were secured by third-party commercial real estate, hard money loans, short-term, charging 11 to 15%. And then in turn, they were promising to pay their investors 5 to 10%. I have to admit, this one might have been hard to, to figure out. Some of the things, though, that Woodbridge pointed out is that clients keep coming back. They said over a 90% national renewal rate. Now, one reason Woodbridge could point out the 90% renewal rate is they made it very difficult to get your money out. And that's because it was a Ponzi scheme. They were using money from new flows coming in to pay out old investors. And ultimately, that scheme fell apart. The SEC complaints mentioned that these securities were unregistered or that the companies were unregistered. And what we mean by registered is there are what are known as registered securities and registered investment companies. This is within the U.S., other countries that have something similar. A registered investment company is a business that issues securities and invests in securities. Typically, it's done in a commingled or collective fashion where they take in investor money, the money is commingled, and then they invest. The categories of investment companies in the U.S. are mutual funds, closed-end funds, and what are known as unit investment trust. And there are subcategories within that, which would include stock funds, bond funds, money market funds, index funds, and exchange-traded funds. So those are registered investment companies. In addition, there are what are known as registered securities. And this is registration under the Securities Act of 1933. A, A registration would include... A definition with a company's businesses, a description of, of the security being offered for sale, information about the management, financial statements. A common stock, for example, would be a registered security. Not all securities have to be registered. There are private offerings to a limited number of individuals. And that's what these 
fraudulent securities were. And so if a security is unregistered, we should be more wary. That doesn't mean it's a bad investment, but because it is not registered, if it's not offered by a registered investment company or it's not a registered security, we should we should just be more wary because the disclosures aren't as great and we might not have as much transparency because they're not required to, to file ongoing information about the investment offering in terms of what's going on with the underlying investments, et cetera, with the SEC or other regulators. One of the interesting wrinkles in this Woodbridge case is Jordan Goodman. He hosts the Money Answer Show. It's actually a podcast and a radio show that nationwide that I was on last year. He was charged by the SEC for essentially promoting these unregistered Woodbridge securities on his show, on other podcasts, but not disclosing that he was getting a commission. He earned $2.3 million in transaction-based sales commissions and marketing fees from Woodbridge Securities or affiliates associated with Woodbridge Securities. And Goodman didn't disclose that he was being compensated. Now, he says he didn't know this was a Ponzi scheme, and, and I believe him. But you have to look at, are there conflicts? Who is suggesting a particular security? On his show, on a particular radio station, KOA, in 2015, Goodman mentioned that these products were very popular with KOA listeners and that they could earn 6% annual interest. His quote was, there's a way of getting 6% and not having to worry about capital loss. It's very safe. Now, I, I've done direct lending like that. That is secured by real estate. I wouldn't say it's very safe. There are definitely risk there. But this one might have been difficult to figure out. But you have to understand who, who's promoting it and then why. And the fact that he didn't disclose that, it, it's just that's not the right thing to do. And it got me thinking about, you know, what am I disclosing appropriately? I try to. I don't have any type of affiliate relationships with investment products. I'm not brand ambassador for any type of, of financial products. I do have an affiliate relationship with Amazon. If you happen to click on a book link on the website, I make about $30 a month from Amazon. But the sponsors on the podcast are not affiliate. They're straight up, straight fee. I strive to make sure I've used every product that I represent that's a sponsor of the show. And if it's an investment-related product, I if it's got to be in my portfolio. I have, have to use it in my own investing. I want to have skin in the game. I do the same thing with Money for the Rest of Us Plus. I share my portfolio. I share what I'm doing. You can see what I'm holding. And I'm not recommending anything or at least putting it in, let's say, the model portfolios unless it's also in my investment portfolio. Now, I'm not a registered investment advisor either. And so I'm not providing investment advice. I'm using what's known as the general education inclusion, essentially a newsletter type format. But it's important to understand because as there's podcasters out there, there, there are other 
services out there, we have to understand how are they being compensated and are they disclosing that compensation. Speaking of sponsors, let me pause here and share some words from this week's sponsors. What do companies like Ring, Hint, and Tagovas all have in common? They all use NetSuite to accelerate their growth. Successful companies know that in order to grow faster, you must have the right tools. Whether you're doing a million, 10 million, or hundreds of millions in revenue, NetSuite by Oracle gives you the tools you need to accelerate your growth. With NetSuite, you get a full picture of your business, finance, inventory, HR, customers, and more. It's everything you need to grow all in one place, right from your phone or computer. NetSuite will give you the visibility and control you need to make the right decisions and grow with confidence. That's why NetSuite customers grow faster than the S&P 500. NetSuite is the world's number one cloud business system, trusted by more than 19,000 companies. It's the last system you'll ever need. Schedule your free product tour right now and receive your free guide, Seven Key Strategies to Grow Your Profits, at netsuite.com slash david. That's netsuite.com slash david, netsuite.com slash david. When I was an investment advisor, I would often or periodically get on the SEC's website and look at press releases to see enforcement actions against investment advisors. Partly, I was curious what my competition was doing, but also to learn. Security regulations complicated, and we certainly had made mistakes at our firm just out of sheer ignorance. One of the first brochures that we did marketing brochures for a particular service that our business had, had had testimonials. Testimonials aren't allowed if you're an investment advisor. I keep up the practice of periodically looking at SEC press releases and was surprised in December to find enforcement actions against two robo-advisors. So not all enforcement actions are against regarding unregistered securities or firms. Sometimes it's, it's registered firms with registered products. The enforcement action was against Wealthfront, a $11 billion robo-advisor, $11 billion of client assets under management. The SEC determined that they made false statements regarding their tax loss harvesting strategy. This particular strategy or tax loss harvesting is a strategy of selling securities that are at a loss to take the capital loss for tax purposes and then buying back a security that needs to be different can't be the same security and it can't be very, very similar, especially within the first 30 days. Otherwise, it triggers what's known as a wash sale. It just doesn't count. What they found, the SEC found, that 31% of the accounts that they identified that were enrolled in this strategy were actually wash sales. The SEC essentially said that Wealthfront said they were monitoring these accounts, but it turns out that they were triggering wash sales. They also found that Wealthfront improperly retweeted prohibited client testimonials. This is SEC's words. Paid bloggers for client referrals without the required disclosure and documentation and failed to maintain a compliance program reasonably designed to prevent violations of securities laws. Gets a little dicey when it comes to testimonials and things like that. Sometimes we would get SEC audits as an investment advisor. Sometimes you just make mistakes. 
That was the case with this situation with Wealthfront. Another robo-advisor is Hedgeable. It's much smaller, about $81 million. What the SEC found is Hedgeable posted client performance of their clients and compared them with two other robo-advisors. But they cherry-picked. They only used 4% of their client assets, and they were the better-performing clients. And then they compared them to two robo-advisors and used performance from these robo-advisors that actually weren't representative of the robo-advisors' trading models. Investment performance is very important and oftentimes in deciding whether to select an advisor or a product. And so you're not allowed to just cherry pick performance. You have to really, the the appropriate way to do it is to follow what are known as the GIPS standards, G-I-P-S, and you do a composite of your accounts. We spend a lot of time constructing these composites as investment advisors. And the the gold standards have them verified by a third-party accounting firm to make sure that the return calculation is correct and that they're doing the composite correctly. But when you're selecting an investment product advisor, be very careful about the performance. Read the disclosures. Understand whether it's a hypothetical performance or if it's a live track record. And if it's a live track record, read the disclosure regarding the composites to make sure that it's representative of the investment strategy and, and see how many client assets are actually in that strategy. But that's what they were doing Hedgeable. It also says the SEC's order also found that Hedgeable failed to maintain required documentation and failed to maintain a compliance program reasonably designed to prevent violations of the security laws. Compliance, it takes time. These firms have to to put the time into doing that. So performance is another area to to be very mindful of in selecting an investment advisor or product and to avoid any type of fraud. A final area is fees. To truly understand the fees, and there was an SEC enforcement action against Valley Forge Asset Management. They're now owned by BB&T Securities. At the time when most of these violations occurred, they were not. But in their case, what they did, Valley Forge had an affiliated broker-dealer. So they were an asset manager, but they also had a broker-dealer. And for some of their clients, they would direct trades to their own broker-dealer. In the early years when I was an investment advisor, we we also had a a broker-dealer, and sometimes we ran trades through that broker-dealer to offset the client fee. We, We later stopped doing that just because it gets really, really messy. But in this case, Valley Forge was charging commissions four and a half times more than what clients would have paid had they used an outside broker dealer. Now, Valley Forge said they were, they were offering additional services to do that, but it turns out they, they really weren't. So clients were effectively paying four and a half times more than they should. If you have some type of advisor relationship, you should be receiving trade confirmations to be able to see how much is being charged for a commission and make sure that it's a, an appropriate rate or with your, with your broker relationship. Understand what you're paying. Understand what the, the overall advisory fee is. There is another advisor, Richard T. Diver. This was actual enforcement action against an individual. He was a chief operating officer at a particular investment firm, and he was overbilling clients, a certain billing clients, and then taking the money and paying him himself a higher salary. So he overbilled 300 investment advisory clients by about $750,000 in order to inflate his salary. So understand what the fees are and then verify. I mean, that's the key here. 
is to verify that it's correct. And stepping back then, sometimes it's, it's difficult to identify fraud. Oftentimes it is, which is why we want to make sure that we don't put too much money in a particular strategy, particularly if it's, if it's unregistered, if it's some type of private strategy. We need to understand who we're investing with. We need to search SEC's advisor platform, to search FINRA's brokerage check to make sure, you know, who are these individuals? What's their background? Has there been enforcement actions against them? We need to understand what the investment strategy is. Do we understand the strategy? Can we see the holdings? Do we know what, what the holdings are? Is the particular security registered with the SEC? We need to study the offering documents in great detail to understand what the risks are. Most strategies should have lengthy disclosures in terms of the risk. We need to understand the performance. Is it verified? Has it been audited? Is it representative of the strategy? Have there been losses? Sometimes with these Ponzi schemes, they, they show performance and it's so predictable. Most investment advisors, there's, definitely, there's going to be some volatility in terms of returns. So does the returns look reasonable? And is the particular strategy manager over-promising? We need to look at the fees, understand what the fees are, verify, you know, once we hire them, that the fees are correct. And finally, never invest an amount that you would be harmed if it turns out to be a Ponzi scheme. If it's a registered investment company or a registered security, it's unlikely to be a Ponzi scheme. Where it becomes an issue is if it's some type of private vehicle, whether they call themselves a hedge fund, investment partnership, or something private that's unregistered where they're just investment is available just to few individuals or dozens, could be hundreds. But that's where you need to be the most wary because that's where there's the most exposure. Now, most are not Ponzi schemes. Most are just doing their best trying to manage money. But we need to mitigate that risk by making sure that in the case of this Woodbridge, there, there were investors there that just to get that 6% return. And for a while, they were getting it, but they put way too much in there. They sold other assets for this predictability of the 6% return. Not really understanding that Hard asset lending, if, if they actually had done that, there's still risk there. That's not something you want to put most of your assets in. So we need to be wary, understand what we're investing in, be able to explain what that is in a way that we can understand and keep an eye out. That's episode 248. Show notes are at moneyfortherestofus.com. That's where I'll have links to the different enforcement actions that I've talked about with the SEC by there, please sign up for my free insider's guide, and I'll email those links to you each week, along with some other essay or writing that I do only to that email list, some of the other things I might be thinking about that I want to share with you, some of the best writing I do each week, and that's at moneyfortherestofus.com. Everything I've shared with you in this episode has been for general education. I'm not a registered investment advisor, so I don't provide investment advice. I just provide general education on money, investing, and the economy. Have a great week.